Corinthians chapter 13. This morning in our time of scripture study, we're going to put a bow on this study. We have spent the last five months studying verse by verse the, the book of 2 Corinthians. You know, it, it's my prayer that's been helpful in teaching us how to learn uh, to look to God for comfort and guidance and provision regardless of our circumstances, but especially when we're suffering. Because one of the key themes of this book is the God who comforts. But this morning's text is, is really the key aspect of this book. It is uh, the key verse, the key passage for us. But this morning's text is going to help us answer a question that I am convinced that many Christians and many churchgoers struggle with at least from time to time. The question is this, how can I know if I'm saved? Can I know? If I can, how? That's what we want to look and we want to just allow the text to speak to us because the one big thing this morning is this, that it's important for every believer to examine their life in order to prove the genuineness of their faith. So let's look at it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to begin in verse 5, and I'm going to ask if you can and would if you'd stand as we read together. He says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not that your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? But I trust that you shall know that we are not reprobates. Now, I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you're strong, and this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And God, I pray that our hearts are open, our our ears are open to hear and to receive the message of truth from your spirit, that Lord, we would respond in love, adoration, and obedience to whatever you may say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, it's important for every believer to examine their life in order to prove the genuineness of their faith. So what is the need according to the text? Well, it's there in verses 5 and 6. And the need is this. We need to examine our lives. Now, there in verse 10, Paul begins with a stern warning. He says, therefore, in light of what I've just written, therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness. This is Paul telling the Corinthian believers, you either need to deal with the sin that is in your life and in your church, or when I come to you, I'm going to deal with it. And so he, he is being very upfront with them of his intention. It's very similar to what he wrote to the Corinthians in the first letter there in chapter 11, verse 31. He's saying, you guys are allowing unchecked sin to go on in your lives and within the church And so you better take care of it, or when I get there, I'm going to take care of it. And what Paul is trying to do here is he's encouraging them to examine their own lives 
as strictly as they're examining his. And in this, Paul is hitting on something that I think most of us are guilty of from time to time, and that's this. We judge others more harshly than we judge ourselves. We judge others based on their actions while expecting others to judge us based on our intentions. And what we see is somebody does something, we go, well, that was wrong. And, it, and then somebody calls us out and says, well, that's not what I meant. So we're using a double standard here. And so Paul isn't telling the Corinthians, I don't want you to judge me. Paul was very open to the Corinthians examining his life because he knew he needed it. But he's trying to tell them, listen, I want you to examine yourselves as strictly as you're examining my life. Look, at, look and make sure that we are all living the way that God has called us to do. Again, Paul's not against accountability. He was for accountability. And this is one of the reasons that I believe many Christians struggle with the assurance of their salvation. We do not open ourselves up to the accountability of brothers and sisters in Christ. We have this lone ranger Christian mentality that I'm going to live my life by myself, kind of in isolation. I'm only going to let you see and know what I want you to see and what I want you to know. And all of a sudden what starts to happen is we get further and further from the protection of the good shepherd who is Jesus and we get further and further away from the, the rest of the sheep who can help keep us on the road that we're supposed to be doing in life. See, Paul is talking about accountability. And he's saying, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not doing. If you were to go look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, you would see one of Paul's greatest concerns, uh, at least in his own life, is this. He says, but I keep under my body and bring it in subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul wanted accountability in his life because... He knew how easy it is to preach to others one thing, but live something entirely different. And so Paul is saying, listen, Corinthians, I need accountability as much as you do. If we're going to be who we're supposed to be in Christ, we have to hold one another accountable in everything that we do. And again, I really believe that this is one thing that is missing in so many believers' lives. We're afraid that if I open up my life to you, well, you may not like what you see. And I don't want to do that. We are so caught up in our own egos and our pride that we want people to think a certain thing about us. And so we carefully craft that image in front of them. And the thing is, we know it's not true. We know that we should do something about it, that, that we should expose our lives to Christ and, and He would help us. But we're afraid. We're afraid that if somebody in church saw me who I am, they wouldn't like me anymore. We're so worried about 
other people's approval that we don't even recognize that God is displeased with what we're doing. We readily go around and inspect the fruit of other believers, but seldom do we take a stroll through our own orchard. Seldom do we even look at our own lives. Why? Because it's so much easier to judge you instead of going, well, what about me? How am I living? Christian profession must be evidenced by Christian conduct. You got to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Uh, An analogy that I I think about when it comes to accountability uh, is really from the, the world of baseball. Now, years ago in baseball, the players policed themselves. What I mean by that was, is this. If your pitcher hits one of my guys, his team knows whoever's the first one in that batter's box, they are taking one in the hip pocket. Like, that, that's just, that's one of the unwritten rules. You hit my guy, I'm going to hit you. It's over with. We go on about our business. Well, Major League Baseball has kind of legislated that out of the game. And I would argue to disastrous results. Because you have pitchers today that are throwing routinely in the upper 90s, low triple digits, who are unafraid to throw at a guy's shoulder and above. They know that if I hit you, you're not going to do anything about it because you don't want to get thrown out, you don't get fined, and you don't want to get suspended. So they routinely will go headhunting, operating with complete immunity. And what's going to happen? Someone's going to get seriously hurt. And it's led to more bench-clearing, bullpen-clearing brawls. Why? Because there's zero accountability. Now let's apply this into our walk with Christ. If you knew that one day every week you were going to sit down with a group of brothers or sisters in Christ and they were going to hold you accountable for your attitudes, for your words, and for your actions. And that if we weren't living the way we were supposed to, appropriate biblical discipline would be carried out. Would you be sinless? No. But would you most likely pause and be a little more careful and intentional about your walk with Jesus? I would say yes. Why? Because we, we don't want to have to go to somebody and they go, hey, how's your walk with Jesus been this week? Well, you know what? I completely blew it and this is how. Accountability will not make us sinless, but it will make us more intentional about how we live. It will help us keep our sinful nature in check. And it's something that you and I desperately need if we are going to be the men and women, if we are going to be the church that God is calling us to. Now, why is it important? Why is self-examination, why is accountability important? Well, verses 7 to 9 would answer this way. To know if you're saved or not. Now, there at the end of verse 10, he says, according to the power which the Lord has given me to edification. Now, Paul is saying, the reason I'm going to hold you accountable is not so that I can judge you or condemn you, but rather so I can encourage you and build you up. The Apostle Paul knew this, that if most Corinthians would examine their lives, he knew they would see they are in fact saved. 
And that would be to the praise and the glory of God. Because one thing that happens to us more often than we like to admit is Satan loves to come sit on our shoulder and whisper all sorts of accusations against us. Maybe you've been growing in your walk with Christ. Things have been going really well. And then all of a sudden, you ever had a bad day where everything just went south? And when that happens, what, what starts happening? Doubt starts to creep in. You start to hear those, those little whispers from Satan. You know, if you were really saved, you wouldn't have done that. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't have said that. So all of a sudden, we're starting to have the guilt, the shame, the regret heaped on us. And so Paul is going, listen, if you were to examine your life as a whole from the time you were saved, and not just from this momentary action, you would see what God has done in you and through you. And so you would be encouraged to know, yes, this was sinful. Yes, you need to confess and repent of it. But you are still God's child. And so that's half the equation. The other half is Paul wants those who are sitting in the church at Corinth who aren't saved but think they are saved, he wants them to feel that conviction. He wants them exposed to the Holy Spirit to go, you know what, something's not right. And we learn this by the word that Paul uses three times in our text. In verse 5, 6, and 7, he repeats one word, and the word is reprobates. Now, what does reprobate mean? It means to be a counterfeit or to be discredited after a test. So, notice what he says in verse 5. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you. In other words, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit if you're saved. The only exception to that, he says, is if you're a counterfeit. If you're not really saved. Then verse 7, he says, Now I pray to God that you do no evil. Or verse 6, But I trust that you shall know that we are not reprobates. See, these false teachers had been accusing Paul of not being a true Christian. And Paul goes, examine my life. Look at me. Listen to my words. Look how I live my life. Am I living it according to what Scripture says? And this is why regular fellowship corporately within Bible study and within discipleship groups is vital. Because it is not enough for you and I to just listen to the words of a pastor. It's not enough for us just to read the books of, of pastors or Christians. If we want to know if somebody is genuine, we need to live life with them. We need to be around them. And this is what he is, this is what Paul is getting at in all of this. See, a reprobate is somebody who claims to be Christian, yet their life discredits that profession they're going yes 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 I love Jesus I love Jesus I love Jesus and then all of a sudden you're watching their life and you're going well wait a minute something's not right something's not adding up in all of this it's a very similar picture to what Paul said about Satan and the false teachers in 2 Corinthians 11 he says and do not marvel for Satan comes as an angel of light Satan is a counterfeit you go back to the Garden of Eden, Satan didn't come right out and deny what God said. He caused doubt. Is that really what God said? Is that really what he meant? 
And so we have to understand the purpose behind examination is to reveal whether or not we are genuinely saved. And this is one of the purposes of trials and suffering in our lives. You know, we're going back to the definition of reprobate. It's a counterfeit or someone discredited after a test. And so we would want to ask this question. When you fall into difficulties, when there's suffering in your life, how do you handle it? What does it show about Are you somebody that wants to blame God? Are you someone who wants to make excuses for why you did what you did? Or are you honest? Are you shaken by every little thing that happens in life? Or are you rooted and grounded in the sovereignty of God that says, you know what, this isn't a good situation, but I know that God's still on his throne and he's going to work this out for his glory and my good. See, a reprobate is someone that we'll call Chicken Little. Every little thing that goes wrong, this guy is wrong, this guy is wrong, oh, it's the worst thing in the world. Ah." A genuine Christian is going to go, yeah, this isn't good, this isn't right, but it's not going to change who God is. God has a plan and a purpose behind this, and so I'm going to rest and trust in Him. It's the difference between building your house on the rock and building it on the sand. You know, Jesus said there in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, he said, if a man hears my words and does them, he is like a man who builds his house on a rock and the wind blows and the waves crash, but the house stands because he has built his life, his house on the rock. But if a man hears my words and does not obey them, he is like a man who has built his house on sand. And the the wind blows and the waves crash and great is the fall of the house. Why? Because the circumstances, did you notice the circumstances of the wind and the waves were the exact same. The wind was blowing, the waves were crashing. One stood because he was anchored and built as a foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ and the other was built on the foundation of himself. This is why we have to examine our lives to see what foundation am I building upon. And what we have to understand is that when we're sharing the gospel with the lost person or when we're holding one another accountable in life, we are dealing with life and death. We are dealing with eternal matters. And I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand, but my guess is nobody would anyway. If somebody said, how many of you like to be held accountable for your actions? I don't think anybody's going to go, yep, that's me. We don't like to have sin pointed out in our lives. We, we retaliate, we name call when that happens. But what we have to understand is that is the most loving, gracious thing God could do. I love my children. But if I was to let them go and start running and playing on train tracks, even though I saw the train coming and I knew the train would not be able to stop by the time it got there, 
Would you think I loved them if I just was like, man, I hope they figure this out real quick and kind of turned and didn't pay attention to them? I'd be charged. Neglect of a mind, and I should be. Now, if I, as a fallen human being, can understand that it is my obligation to warn my child of impending danger, how much more is it important for you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ to warn one another of, hey, you are going off a spiritual cliff. You are about to ruin and wreck your testimony and defame the gospel. If we don't do that, church, we have no right to say that we love one another. We've got to love one another enough to go, hey, man, something's wrong here. Here it is in Scripture. Let's go pray about it. How can I help you? How can I invest my life in you and help you overcome this? So how would we do it? How could we examine ourselves and be held accountable and hold one another accountable? Two things. I would say, number one, we need to test our life. It's an imperative command in the text. Examine yourselves. This is something we must do. Now, some of you may be sitting here and agreeing. This is what the text says. It's what it means. But maybe you're coming off a really difficult week where things just didn't go the way you thought. And you found yourself praying and confessing sin more than, than normal. And you're wondering, how can I even know if I'm saved? I want to know that I'm saved. How can I do it? God knew we were going to have these questions. And so scripture is not silent about this. What we need to do is really get alone and pray and be talking to God, be in his word, and ask ourselves a few questions. The first question I would say is this. How has your life changed since you became a Christian? Now, I want you to hear this. God will meet you in your mess right where you are right now. Maybe you are far from him. You are living for yourself. You're doing things your way. You do not have to try to clean up your life or get your act together in order to come and be accepted by the King of glory, Jesus Christ. He will meet you where you are in your mess. And he will begin to weave his masterpiece. But don't miss this, because not only will God meet you in your mess, but he loves you too much to leave you in your mess. If you come to Jesus Christ, he is going to change your life. He is going to transform your life. He's going to give you a new heart. What does that mean? New emotions and new desires. Because in our sin, we want to live for ourselves. We want to do what makes us happy. But as we come in faith to Christ, as, as we are saved and transformed, we desire not our glory, but God's glory. So again, I want to ask, how has your life changed? If your life has not changed any since you, be, you became a Christian, I want to encourage you, get on your knees before God and ask, have I truly accepted the gospel? Because Romans eight twenty nine tells us God is going to change us. Philippians 1, 6 tells us God is going to change us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 would cause us to ask this. Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? Will I serve them? Will I sacrifice for them? Or do I have to have it my way? 1 John chapter 2, verse 29 
would cause us to ask this question. Do I practice righteousness or right living? Am I intentionally living for Jesus each day? Am I obedient to Scripture? See, I'm convinced that most Christians, most churches are not growing the way God wants them to, not because of what we do not know, but rather because of what we know and are not obeying. Because Jesus says over and over, if you love me, keep my commands. James 1, 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only. James 2, 14 to 18, talks about faith, or specifically verse 17, faith without works is dead. Am I obedient to what Scripture says? Finally, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, would cause me to ask this question. Am I living a godly life separated from evil? If somebody wanted to accuse me of being ungodly, would they have an easy time pointing out something in my life? Could they spend just a little time and go, you know what? You're not living like a Christian and this is how. Would they have an easy time doing it? If so, then we need to be confessing and we need to be opening our lives to examination. The second thing, now this isn't on the bottom of your outline because, uh, like I said, 8.30 this morning, uh, God added, added this about 7.46 this morning. The second thing I would say is this, be accountable. If you're serious about knowing whether or not you are genuinely saved, you need to get alone and pray and talk with God. And then you need to allow Him to talk back. I'm unapologetic in saying that God talks to me every single day as I open this. As I'm opening Scripture, God is talking. Wow, this is the Word of God. It is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Nothing will diagnose my self-righteous, prideful disposition better than God's Word. And so the more I'm in this, the more God is speaking because when you and I pray, that's us talking to God. And when we're reading Scripture, that's God talking back. So how can I do it? How, how could I talk to God and then listen to Him? Well, let's just use this text really quickly. All right, verse 5. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Lord, am I being obedient to Scripture? Am I obeying what you're calling me to do? And then just allow him to, to speak. Whatever you're, you're reading, you know, e every single day you're reading. Uh, we, we're doing a, a New Testament reading plan this whole year. Every day as you're reading that one chapter out of the New Testament, ask the question, Lord, how am I supposed to obey this today? How am I supposed to live this out? Am I living this out? Not only do we need to get alone with God, but we also need to be intentional about getting with others. The other side of spiritual growth is accountable relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. You meet with three to five people for 60 to 90 minutes once a week 
for 12 to 18 months for four purposes. I'm gonna, we're gonna pray, we're gonna read scripture, we're gonna memorize scripture, and then we're gonna hold one another accountable. We're gonna ask the hard questions. Have you been in the Bible this, this week? Have you been praying? Have you shared the gospel? Have you looked at anything that you shouldn't have? Have you participated in anything that you shouldn't have? My favorite question, the last one. Have you lied about any of the answers to the previous questions? Can I just tell you something? That is the single greatest part of my week, and it is the most terrifying part of my week. Why? Because I know every week I'm going to sit across the table from a couple of guys and they're going to hold my feet to the fire. They're going to ask me these questions. And they're not going to give me a pass. And so every day leading up to, I know I've got two options, three really. I can double down on my sin and lie about it. Hopefully we're not going to choose that one. I can make sure that I'm intentional about living the way I'm supposed to. Hopefully we're going to do that. Or I can be honest and transparent and go, you know what? I blew it this week. And this is how. Now, don't be afraid to do that. You are not less of a Christian because you admitted that you were a sinner. I already know you're a sinner. And you already know I'm a sinner. So in confession, what we are asking for is help. Help from the Holy Spirit and help from our church family to live the way God calls us. And we need this in our lives. I'm convinced that one of the single most important things we can do to get off the merry-go-round of doubting our salvation is intentional, accountable relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So maybe you're here this morning and God has just laid it on your heart. Something's not right. You're saying you're a believer, but your life isn't revealed. Don't resist that urging. Don't look at it as condemnation or judgment. Rather, look at it as God's graciousness to you. Because it would be absolutely unloving, ungracious, unmerciful for the sovereign God who knows whether or not we are genuinely saved or not. It would be unloving of Him to know that we are not, but then allow us to sit in church week after week and not reveal it to us. And then when we stand before Him on Judgment Day, for Him to go, you know what? Get out of here. You're never one of mine. Don't resist the conviction that comes. But maybe, maybe in all of this, God has been confirming, yes, you are my child. Hey, praise God for that. Salvation is an act of God. But maybe God's going, you know what, we need to talk about some stuff. 
You know, there's an attitude. There, there, there were some actions that you did this week that didn't reveal my love. You need to confess that. Again, this is God's gracious act to us. So whatever it is the Spirit is saying, don't resist it. Because this is life and death. This is eternal in our matter. So don't ignore it, but rather let's respond to it. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Father, as we continue to go through this time of worship, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for the opportunity just to open your word and spend a few minutes in studying. Lord, I believe that most Christians are sincere in their desire to know whether or not they're saved. I believe they are sincere in their desire to want to grow. But Father, that means that we have to open ourselves up to you and to others. Lord, that's scary for a lot of us. But Lord, I pray that it's been impressed on each of us this morning how necessary and needful it is for us. So Lord, we give you this time of invitation. It's an invitation not to respond to me or or to a church, but to respond to the sovereign God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If there are those here who have never trusted you, Lord, I pray that they see that this morning and that even now they're crying out to you, turning from their sin and asking you to save them and to help them to live for you. Father, I also know that the gospel isn't just for the sinner, it's also for the saint. We still have that sin nature living inside of us. We still stumble and fall short of your glory every single day. So God, if we are harboring some sin, we're trying to bury it. I pray, Lord, that we would deal with it now so that you won't have to deal with it later. If there's anything that's tripping us up, Father, let us lay it down this morning and let us leave this place worshiping you and glorifying you because you are good and you are gracious in striving with us and transforming us. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is going to be open as we're going to sing uh, one final song, Take My Life.